continue. This, this, these songs have all been just prayers to the Lord the whole way. Let's just have that same spirit as we continue in our worship together. Would you, would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you that you are God and yet you want a personal relationship with us. Lord, we, we're here today not by accident. You knew before the foundation of the earth that we would be here. Lord, we come looking forward to seeing what you have for us. Looking forward to how you might touch our hearts, renew our minds, grow us in understanding you and in understanding ourselves and grow us in understanding our place in the world. We all come from different stories, from different events from this past week. But by your Spirit, Lord, touch every one of our hearts. Transform us from the inside out by the renewing of our minds through the teaching of your word. We commit the rest of this service to you, God, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Kyle. That was, yeah, that was wonderful. Well, um, when I was back in seminary, I remember going to the Mesa Public Library, and um, I ran into this guy I'd never met before, and uh, we immediately started to talk, and I quickly learned that this guy, um, well, he, he told me he has a really close walk with the Lord, like the Lord guides his every step. And of course, I'm fascinated by that. Wow, that's amazing. And so we got to talking and uh, I said, so how do you, you know, have the leading of the Lord in your life? Like, how does he show you what to do or not do or whatever? And, and he said, well, I just ask the Lord questions throughout my day and he answers me like that. And he said, it's like yes and no. I always ask him like yes and no questions. So like um, he said, like coming to the library, I asked the Lord, should I go to the library today? And he told me yes. And I said, well, how, how is it that he tells you yes? He said, the Lord will cause my first finger, my pointer finger, to twitch if it's a yes. And if it's a no, he'll cause my middle finger to twitch. And so he is going through his whole life asking God yes or no questions. And if his first finger twitched, it's a yes. If it's second finger here, twitches, it's a no. I thought, okay, um, I didn't really have time to sort of, you know, go at it with them a little bit, but one thing I said to him is, well, I, I said, you know, the Bible is kind of, well, not kind of, the Bible is where I sort of base truth, and uh, I can't find anywhere in the Bible where the moving of a finger is how we determine God's will for our lives. But it poses a question. How do we? How do we discern the promptings of God 
in our life? How do we discern what God wants us to do? How can we get to know for a good, clear understanding of, okay, I'm pretty confident this is what God wants me to do, or this isn't what God wants me to do? How do we figure that out? Well, this morning we're starting a new series. And this new series is really targeted at how to train our ears and train our minds to understand what God wants us to do or not do. The, the title of the series is Do Right. He wants us to do what is right. How do we figure that out? And of course, as you can see, it's a study in the letter of 1 Peter. Now, Peter, a uh, great guy. I mean, uh, Peter, one of the leading apostles. He, is, he was a leader of leaders. Peter was just a solid disciple. You, you may remember that when Jesus was walking on the earth, he had his 12 disciples, right? And then he had his three inner core disciples. And Peter was one of those three inner core guys. I mean, Peter was like walking with Jesus really closely. Uh, Peter, um, early on though, um, he, you know, he was a passionate guy. He was a guy that, that really went for it. And yet, uh, in the beginning, he kind of didn't do things the right way. He didn't do right. He did quite wrong. Um, matter of fact, uh, you may remember, uh, one time was when Jesus was up in the upper room with his disciples toward the end of their time together. Um, Jesus um, actually started washing the disciples' feet. You remember this? The Last Supper, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And uh, Peter picks up on that Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And, uh, and you remember what he, what he said to Jesus? I mean, pretty amazing. Um, in John chapter 13, let me just read this to you real quickly. Peter said to Jesus in John 13, verse 8, Never shall you wash my feet. Now, can you imagine you saying something like that to Jesus? This is at the end of three years. This is after Peter said, you're the Christ, you know, you're the son of the living God. I mean, he knew who Jesus was, but he's telling, no, no, you are not washing my feet, Jesus. That's all there is to it. Well, Jesus, in his, um, in his patience with Peter, answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And then Peter, in his over-exaggerated way, says to him, well, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head. You know, like, okay, well, then go for it. Do, don't, just, don't just do what you want to do, wash my feet. No, Jesus, let me give you a little more direction. Wash like my whole body. Stepped out of line a bit. Um, wasn't saying the exact right thing to the Savior of the world, to God himself. Um, and then, I don't know if it was before or after this, actually, but you might remember that Jesus um, was telling his disciples, listen, I'm going to be arrested, and um, because of me, you're all going to scatter. Remember that? Jesus warned them all, you're all going to scatter because of me. And it's interesting how Peter responds to that. Notice over in Matthew chapter 26, Matthew 26, verse 33, Peter said to Jesus, even though all may, may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Now, I can picture him seeing all the other disciples there and like, all these guys, they'll fall away from you. I get that, but not me. Not me. I won't fall away. Again, with great patience, Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, at this very night, before the rooster crows, 
you'll deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Well, well, you, you know what happened, of course. Um, that night, Jesus is arrested and, uh, and Peter, yeah, at least actually three times, some scholars think even more than three times, he, he denied he even knew Jesus. He actually even cursed to make the point that he didn't know Jesus. You've got to hand it to him. The guy's got zeal, right? <laughs> the guy's got passion. I mean, and yet it's zeal or passion not aligned with doing what's right. Well, by the time Peter writes the letter of 1 Peter, uh, it's like 30 years later. <laughs> and in those 30 years, God had been working on Peter's heart. I mean, God had been forming Peter's heart. All those examples that I gave to you, it was all about Peter. Listen, I'm not going to do that. I'm the greatest guy here. I'm the, you know, there's no way. God changes Peter's heart over those 30 years. By the power of his Holy Spirit, we get the new Peter, the, the, the Peter who's grown a lot in the Lord over the last 30 years. And no longer is his zeal for himself. His zeal is for those he's writing to. He wants the Christians that he's writing this letter to to really thrive in the Lord, to really, to really follow the Lord with a, with a good heart. He still has his character. He still has his passion. But now it's in alignment with, with what's right. And this letter is not only written to those first century Christians, it's, it's written to us too. We get to glean from Peter, from the Peter who grew up, the Peter who matured, we get to learn from his life and his perspective how we can do right with God. And this morning as we begin, we'll see that we can do right before the Lord because of God doing right for us. That God has done right for you and me, his children. So let's dive in. What do you say? First Peter, ready for this? All right, let's go. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 1. And if you have your Bibles handy, feel free to follow along. No problem if you don't. As you can see, I have the scriptures up here on the screen. Peter writes these words. He starts out, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens. Now let me just stop a minute here. Uh, aliens means, uh, okay, this place is not our home. This earth on which we live, this isn't where ultimately we're looking forward to living forever. This is like um, we're aliens. Like, okay, this isn't where we're supposed to be. That as Christians, um, we're looking forward to our eternity with the Lord. But for right now, we reside as aliens, and so did they then. Scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, before we read on... Um, this letter was a letter that would be handed around from church to church to church. It came up after, after a lot of the Apostle Paul's letters. So these churches in these different cities would have gotten Paul's letters. And then uh, now Peter's letter comes along and really kind of verifies the thing that the Apostle Paul was saying. Now, let me show you on a map where these places are. Um, 
You'll notice all the capital letters, Asia, Bithynia, and Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia. In other words, this entire peninsula between the Black Sea to the north, Mediterranean Sea to the south, Aegean Sea over to the east, uh, wait, uh, west, sorry, <laughs> over to the west, and um, this, this whole landmass that the letter was supposed to be just handed around from church to church to encourage them, to spur them on as, as to how to do right before the Lord. And as the letter begins, we see how God has done right for us. Let's read on. Again, those reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And then he says, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So therein lies the first thing that God has done for us. God has chosen us. God has chosen you, and he's chosen me. Uh, and it's not just willy-nilly, you know, it's not just out of the blue, I'll pick you and, uh, hey, how about if I pick you and, um, you know, that's not how God operates. Uh, the, 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 this, the order is really important. Notice again, it says this, those who are chosen, and then it says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You see that? We're chosen, but something happened before we're chosen. It's that God has this foreknowledge knowing before something happens what's going to happen. God knows before everything in all of eternity past, and quite frankly in all of eternity future, he already knows every single thing that's going to happen. This is foreknowledge. So every single choice that we make freely, God knew beforehand we would already make them. You and I have complete freedom and yet God knows exactly how we're going to decide. I know, it's a little mind-boggling, but it's true. And based on that foreknowledge, God chooses us. Today at noon, the Milwaukee Bucks are starting their second round of the playoffs. Any of you know that? Some of you know that? You, any Bucks fans out here? Big Bucks fans? I would say that uh, I'm a Fairweather fan. Um, <laughs> Now that they're doing good, I'm interested. And uh, I'm quickly trying to catch up on the names of the players and all that kind of stuff. And, and yet today, they start playing the Boston Celtics, second round of the playoffs. Now, it starts at noon. So uh, given what we're doing right here and what I do after this, um, uh, I'm not going to be able to catch the game, at least not at the beginning. So um, if I want to watch it, I record it. And then I'll watch it later. I'll watch it either later this afternoon or I'll watch it this evening. And um, I'm real curious, you know, how it turns out. But don't tell me, you know, don't tell me. Uh, I'd like to kind of watch it when I watch it and kind of be there. As I'm watching the game later, uh, I'm going to enjoy, um, you know, every play. I'm going to enjoy the fancy footwork. I'm going to enjoy the dribbling. I'm going to enjoy the shots. I'm going to enjoy the offense and the defense. I'm, I'm, and, you know, the outcome I hope I'm going to enjoy as well, if you know what I mean. Hopefully they'll win game one. It is in Milwaukee, so that's an advantage. And, uh, and so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching the game. But the reality is when I'm watching it, it's, it's like it's in happening in real time. It's like I'm into it. It's like this, is, this, is, this has got my attention. It's got my focus. But the, but the truth of the matter is every play, every choice, every shot made or missed, the outcome of the entire game is already done. But I'm experiencing it 
like it's not already done, like it's happening right in front of me. The way that God sees the world is he doesn't see past, present, and future. God is actually outside of time. And he sees everything in the eternal present. Does that make sense? He, he sees the past, the future, everything as if it's in the eternal present. Like it's right here, right now. So what we experience now is it's, it's as if it's already done. The choices that we make, the plays that we do, the, the shots that we take in a sense, that those things in God's eyes are already seen. His foreknowledge sees it all. Why one person chooses, is chosen by God and not another? Why, is, why does that happen? It's because God chose that all who freely decide to receive his grace will be saved. And all who reject it will be lost. Want me to say that again? It's an important point. God chose that all who freely decide to receive his grace will be saved, and all who reject it will be lost. God's choice of us, it, it doesn't mean um, just that we go to heaven when we die. That's not what I'm talking about when I talk about God's choice. That's part of it. But in this text, I think it gives three reasons why God chooses us. And um, I actually, in your outline, only have two, but since I turned in my uh, outline notes to the people that make the bulletin, I had to add a third. So you may, if you're taking notes, you may want to leave a little space there under number two. But let me give you these three reasons why the Lord chooses us. The first one is this, to mold us. God chooses us to mold us. Notice again in verse two, it says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and then it says, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ. The sanctifying work of the Spirit, the, 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 the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. God chooses us to get a hold of us by His Holy Spirit so that He might shape us. He is the potter, we are the clay. That's what the Bible says. I remember back in college, I uh, took a couple of art classes, and um, I got to throw some clay. Have you ever done that? A, a, a potter's wheel, and you, you put clay in the center of it. You get the machine going, and it's spinning around. And, uh, and then you get your hands all wet, and you get that clay going, and you just start to shape it on the outside. Then you, then you kind of put your hand on the inside, and you, you start to push that clay together, and as it's spinning around and around, you, you kind of move your fingers. And at the beginning, you, you kind of need a lot of pressure to kind of get that going. And then, and then as it gets bigger and taller, you just kind of gently shape it, and then maybe you want to put a little curve to it or whatever, and you just, you just kind of move the clay just kind of gently like this, and you, sh and you pressure inside, pressure on the outside, just to kind of get it to go where you want it to go. You ever done this? Have you ever done this? You have? Good. You know what I'm talking about, right? Am I right on that? Now, here's another thing you can do. You can actually get out like little tools, and as that's spinning around, you can actually put like grooves in it, you know, or like different shapes, or, or if you just touch, 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 you can kind of get little nicks in it to make it kind of unique, its own little character that that pot or that cup or whatever you're making uh, ends up looking like. And uh, I was thinking about how God wants to mold us, and I think it's 
It's very similar. Uh, that's why he's called the potter and we're the clay. Sometimes there's some pressure on the inside that he uses to, to kind of shape us. And, and then he uses some pressure on the outside to kind of shape us the way he wants us to be shaped. And, and, and sometimes that pressure feels nice and smooth and it's really not, not, not too painful much. But then other times he might use different tools in our life that will scrape us a bit, that will maybe put a put a groove in us a little bit, and, and it makes us quite unique for him, but it's not comfortable. It's, it's some of those trials and, and stresses of life that we can go through. And, uh, and yet God is shaping us. He's molding us through that. And it says that he's sanctifying us, shaping us, transforming us to obey Jesus Christ, that he might produce in us the fruit of obedience to Jesus. To be molded to be like Christ. That's why he's chosen you and chosen me. Secondly, God chooses us to use us. To use us in the world. Um, notice what verse 2 goes on to say. Not only by the sprinkling of the work of the Spirit by the, to obey Jesus Christ, but then he says, and be sprinkled with his Blood. Now, we're talking about Christians who are already Christians, and then he says that these Christians will be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. What is he saying here? Well, remember, Peter is a Jewish man, and uh, part of his audience, uh, a good chunk of his audience that's receiving this letter are Jewish Christians, Christians who have put their faith in Jesus, and, uh, and they would know right away what, what he was saying here. They would know right away um, that, that clearly they would have some Old Testament thoughts going on in their mind as they, as they heard him say the sprinkling of the blood. There's three ways, I think, that the blood uh, of animals was sprinkled on people in the Old Testament. The, the first way was um, that Moses, in Exodus 24, Moses actually took the blood, I think it was of a young bull, and he sprinkled it on the covenant people. He sprinkled the blood on the people to, to symbolize that they are the people of God, that these Jewish people are God's people in the world. That there are many, many people in the world, but these people are set apart for God, and they're a part of his promises, and they get to enjoy God and follow after God. Uh, the second time that I think of when blood was sprinkled on people, was with Aaron, Moses' brother. I think it was Exodus 29. Aaron actually is setting the priests aside to serve the Lord for the people. So a priest in the Old Testament, when he would be consecrated, when he would be set aside for his priestly duties, would get sprinkled with blood. And a priest in that day represented God to the people and people to God. He was kind of like that liaison between God and the people and, and made the connection for the people to God. And I think there's some parallels. The third, the third time that uh, someone would get sprinkled with blood would be that um, if someone in the Jewish community, in the, in the covenant people, if, if they all of a sudden saw like a white spot on their skin, and they wondered if it was leprosy, they'd have to go to the priests, and the priests would inspect it. And uh, if they determined that that was leprosy, then that person would have to, anytime they came close to anybody, they would have to holler out, unclean, unclean. 
Don't get near me. I'm unclean. But say because of the treatment or because of a miracle of God, all of a sudden that white patch has gone away and, uh, and they go back to the priests and they inspect their skin. And if they determined, you know what, you're cleansed of your leprosy, they would actually sprinkle them with blood as a symbol of being cleansed of their uncleanness. Now think about it. As aliens in this world, as Christians, we are God's covenant people. We are, there's a lot of people in the world, but I mean, we're God's children because of the blood of Jesus. And as we'll see when we get to chapter 2, we are called the royal priesthood of God. I don't know if you realize this, but as a Christian, you're a priest of God. In other words, you represent God to the people and you want to bring people to God. We are the ones, we are his mouthpiece in our world to, to share Jesus, the one who sprinkled his blood for us, shed his blood for us. We want people to know that. So we are ambassadors for Christ. And of course, this one you probably were picking up on. You're unclean because of our sin. Because of our wrongs, not measuring up to God's holy perfection. But because of the blood of Jesus, we're cleansed of our unrighteousness. Though we be like crimson, we are made white as snow. Our sins are no longer counted against us because we're sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. And God wants to use you and he wants to use me to tell the world about it, to be his covenant people, to be the royal priesthood that we are, to tell everybody about how they can be forgiven of their sins because of what Jesus has done for them. Just like he did for you and did for me. Yeah, God wants to use us. That's why he chose us. Well, I said there was a, a third reason why we are chosen. That's not in your outline, but I'd like to give it to you. The Lord has chosen us really to give us a new reality. A new reality. This reality is that we know in real and relevant ways His grace and His peace in our lives. That we would know God's grace and His peace in our lives. Notice the wish, the hope, the blessing that Peter writes at the end of verse 2. He says, May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Grace, by the way. Peace you kind of get, you know, just that peace in your heart, like calm. But grace, grace is God's kindness to us, His goodness to us, even though we don't deserve it. It's not like He does this because we do that for Him. No, this is just His goodness to us no matter what. And I love how Peter has this desire. He's not saying, oh, that grace and peace would be yours every so often. <laughs> that, that you would kind of know grace. And, I mean, you know, let's say you're going, through, and then you got sort of a hint of grace or a hint of peace. No, I love how he says that you might know it to the fullest measure. What does that look like? Well, I remember when I was back in college, um, few friends of mine and I, we went on a canoe trip, and uh, it was a great time. I don't even remember the river, but I remember the river was kind of low, but we were having a great time, wonderful time out in the summer, you know, between 
uh, grades or whatever. And um, remember we came up on these rapids, um, you know, where the water goes over the rocks. And, and uh, we had to portage because it was kind of shallow. So we had to portage. So we get out of our canoes and we had all of our gear and we had to haul it down, you know, down the rapids and then put in underneath the rapids. And it was hot and we were sweaty and we get everything down to go canoeing again. And as I looked over at the rapids, I'm like, oh man, does that look refreshing, you know? Uh, the water just kind of coming over the rocks. And I thought, hey, let's just see how deep it is, you know. So we wade out into the water. And it's not re- very deep. I mean, it's only like up to your thigh or so. We sit down in the w- rapids. And the water's like rushing over us. And with the rocks higher than us, I just lean back. And the water literally is like rushing over my head like this. And, and, the, and everybody is sitting in the rocks. You can kind of see each other, but it's so loud you can't really talk. But we're sitting there, you can breathe and just enjoy this cool, refreshing water on a hot summer's day. And I think when I, when I, when I read that you might know His grace and peace to the fullest measure, it's like we know His grace and peace is just rushing over us. You get done with carrying that canoe and stuff, And it's like, you're so parched. And yet, you sit in that cool water and it's so refreshing. I think that's how He wants us to experience it. So how's your heart? Do you feel parched? Dry? Lonely? Confused. It's like you're going through something difficult and you get a phone call from a friend. And they just have such kind words that just just seem to feel good at the moment. Have you ever had that? well-timed. I think that's a picture of God's grace. The fullness of His grace. It just fills us up when we need it. You ever have where it's just, man, I don't know, you know. I don't know. I'm just so confused. I mean, I'm not sure what direction to go. I'm not sure how to handle it. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. And, and it just feels like there's a bit of chaos either inside of our minds or all around us. And yet all of a sudden there's this sense of, of calm. A sense of peace in the middle of the storm. You just say, that's an example of knowing the fullness of the peace of God. You know, before we were Christians, you and I, before we knew Jesus as our Savior, you might have forgotten this, but we didn't have that reality. We didn't have that reality. But God wants us to experience this new reality with Him. This new reality of knowing His grace and His peace in the fullest measure. When we put our faith in Jesus, trusting that He died for our sins, 
And He rose from the grave to give us this gift of eternal life. He sends His Holy Spirit inside of us. And because the Spirit is inside of us, He floods us like cool water on a hot summer's day, flushing over us. He wants to flood us with His grace and His peace. That's why He chose us to be so good to us. Well, not only has God chosen us, but secondly, God has given hope to us. He's given us hope. And I love how Peter describes this hope. Notice verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again. That's born of that Holy Spirit. He sends His Holy Spirit to be inside of us. Caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Not just any old hope. This is a living hope. In other words, it's a hope that makes a difference in our lives. It's a hope that has an impact on our lives. It's a hope that, that motivates us. And this is the motivation, verse 4. Here's the motivation of this hope. To obtain an inheritance... Which, by the way, this isn't just going into heaven. This is a reward to come when we're there. Which I think will be unpacked more as the book goes on. But this is a reward to come when we're in heaven. And this reward of an inheritance, which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, is reserved in heaven for you. We're going to be in heaven. This is something that we get when we get there. Yeah. As aliens in the world, this is not our home. There's coming a time when we're going to be in heaven with the Lord. We're going to be there. And there's this incredible thing that He's storing up for us there that I love how it describes it here. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. And it will not fade away. And it's this great reward called an inheritance. Sealed for you and me. For now, however, we're on this side of heaven. <laughs> and on this side of heaven... Trusting in that future, in that living hope, is really what protects us. It's like a shield for us. Look at what it says in verse 5. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So let me just, again, go back to our hearts. I don't know where you're at. With your heart. I don't know what's going on in all of your lives. But sometimes, things that happen in life can feel a bit senseless. You know? Like, why am I going through this? Why, is, why do I have to deal with this? Why? This is not right. You know, that I just doesn't, it, it can feel uncomfortable and it can make us feel like this doesn't make any sense. Yet by the authority of God's word, there's coming a time when God will have us see that it makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. Notice it says, in the last time. Verse 6 goes on. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in 
praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That all of this stuff that you're going through helps to bring this proof of your faith. The proof of your faith is a faith that endures through whatever we're facing. A proof of our faith is a faith that, that keeps trusting God no matter what we're going through. Trusting that he's molding us. Trusting that he's using us. That no matter what, we keep believing in the Lord. Keep trusting in him through it all. Dr. Alan Redpath, um, he was the, pre or the, the pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, uh, the, the historic church, Moody Church in Chicago, uh, primarily in the 1950s. It was, uh, uh, I think, from 1953 to 1962, if my memory serves me correctly. Pretty sure he was done in 62. Um, but uh, I heard a quote from him this past week. I thought, oh, this is, this is spot on with what we're talking about. Dr. Alan Redpath said this. He said, the conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment. In other words, when we put our faith in Jesus, we trust that he died on the cross for our sins, that we are born again, that the Holy Spirit is sent to live within us, that we've passed from death to life, that we were lost and now that we're saved, that, that we are, that we are you know, orphans and now we're children of God, that, that, that this is a moment, there's a miracle of a moment when we trust Jesus as our Savior. But then he says this, the making of a saint is the task of a lifetime. God is making you and me to be saints. And it's the proof of our faith that shapes us. It's the molding of us through trusting Him. It's the trusting Him no matter what we're facing. Believing that whatever God is bringing us through matters for eternity. This faith, what does it mean to have faith in him in all of this? How, how can we clarify that? Look at verse 8. I think it's clear what this faith looks like in verse 8. He says, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You and I, we haven't seen God, but do you love him? Do you love Jesus? We haven't seen him, but we believe in him. We believe him. We trust, we trust him. And at the end there, it's like, and it's this joy, this greatly rejoiced with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. Our joy doesn't come from our circumstances. Our joy comes from Jesus. Our joy comes from knowing Jesus. Our joy comes from having Jesus. Our joy comes from relating to Jesus. He is our rock in which we stand. He's our fortress. He's our savior. He's our deliverer. He's the one that floods us with his grace and his peace. It's Jesus that is our joy, not all the stuff around us. We've got to keep our eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus. And then look what the outcome of that is, verse 9. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. <laughs> the outcome of walking by faith is the salvation of your souls. Now, of course, this, this has to do with eternity. It has to do with that inheritance that I mentioned. 
But it's more than that. It's much more than that. This is a lifetime of faith. And it's a salvation of our full souls in the present tense as well. It's where we experience this life, walking with Jesus, trusting in him, where we have, a, in a sense, a foretaste of heaven that's coming. A, a taste of it in knowing the Lord. A taste of it in experiencing his goodness in our life. A taste of it. A, a, a salvation of our souls where, yeah, we're going through hard stuff, but Jesus is still good. Jesus still is there. Jesus is still on the throne. He's still near. His grace and his peace, I sense it. He's leading me. Even in all this, I can tell. You're there? You know what I'm talking about? Well, let me just end by saying this. What I'm talking about, I don't want any of us to take it too lightly. You know, a lot of times when you're at church and you hear a message or whatever, you're part of the worship service and you leave and you're, you might say, you know, that was, that was good. Hey, that was good. I like that. That was a good message. And then by the afternoon and then into the evening and then the next day, uh, kind of what, whatever was said on Sunday morning or whatever you learned on Sunday morning, it kind of like, well, you know, I can't really remember. I can't really remember. I want, I want all of us to realize that what I'm laying out, not me, what Peter is laying out is, is a big deal. As I have in your outline, what God has done is a big deal. This is big time. Matter of fact, the way that Peter finishes here is he says, uh, listen, prophets are like really interested in all of this stuff before it ever happened. And preachers throughout the ages are moved along by the Spirit of God to proclaim this stuff. And even angels are fascinated by this. I'm telling you, that's what he writes. Look at verse 10. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ. By the way, let me just stop a minute. The Spirit of God, Christ in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, also called the Spirit of Christ, was predicting his own sufferings to the prophets, there in verse 11, and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. They were interested in all of this stuff. They were moved along by the Holy Spirit, and they wondered, like, what is all of this about? And they started writing about it, writing about it, writing about it. And the Spirit of God moved them along as they were writing, and all of a sudden, poof, we've got the Bible. All of their wondering about all of this stuff uh, resulted in us having our Bible. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And then he goes on. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Spirit of, uh, Spirit, uh, Holy Spirit sent from heaven. You ever listen to a message and you're like, how does that dude know me? What? He's like talking exactly what's going on in my life. I want you to know, no dude is that good. <laughs> Nobody's that good, but it's the Spirit of God through the preaching of the Word that he he shines it on our hearts so that we might be moved by His Spirit and might be shaped by His Spirit because we've come under the preaching of the Word. It's how God works. 
And then he says in the end, and I love this, things into which angels long to look. (laughs) Angels. I mean, we're talking created, spiritual, heavenly beings. Majestic beings that God made to serve him and quite candidly to serve us as well. And these eternal beings, that, that they don't die, that they've been watching throughout history how God has worked in the lives of people in order to shape them, mold them, use them, and how that makes a difference for eternity. And they're fascinated by it. How your life and my life is being shaped by God and how this has an effect on eternity. They're amazed by it. So let me just say, God, according to his great mercy, as he showers us with his grace and his peace, as he wants us to walk in that, filled up in that, this is a big deal. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond to what God has done for us? How do do we do that? How, How do we respond to his incredible love for you and me? That he makes us his child and he he wants us to experience him even now. How do we respond to that kind of love? I think there's really only one response. That we love him back. We love him back. God, I love you. Thank you for loving me so much. I love you. I, I... with my whole life, I want to love you back. Let's pray. Lord, yeah, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for demonstrating your love, living out your love for us. You're so good to us even though we don't deserve it. Even while we were yet sinners, <laughs> you died for us. Thank you that you love us so much you give us freedom of choice. We can either choose to love you back or not. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would choose to love you with our whole lives. That we wouldn't just take what your word has said to us today and kind of just go about life the way we've always gone about life after this. I pray for the young people in the congregation. They can be pulled away from you in their lives. But Lord, I pray that they'll understand how you love them and that with their whole lives, no matter where they're at, they'll love you back. pray for the young families in our church their kids just getting started help them to in the busyness of life the demands of life help them to love you first before all love you first before their spouse love you first before their kids 
Help all of us to do that, God. For all of us, God, just thank you for being good no matter what. No matter what we're facing. Some people here I know are facing some real challenges. I pray, Lord, that you'll flood them with your grace and peace. They'll sense it. They'll know that you're near. God, for you loving us so much, you loved us first. I think I speak for most of us here. We just want to say we love you back. Thank you for being so good to us. Just focus on this prayer to how good he is and and how we just want to love him. If those are if that's in your heart, these I think this song will help lead us. been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God and all my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice You have led me through the fire darkest night you are close like no other I known you as a father I known you as a friend and I have lived in the goodness of God and all my life you have been faithful all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will see of the goodness of God
And all my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God Let's stand and just sing this together All my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will see of the goodness of God I will sing of the goodness of God. When I talk about loving God back, what does that mean to love Him back? I think that defines it right there. With every breath that I am able, I'll sing of the goodness of God go from this place your whole life just have that God I'm going to love you back with every breath I'm able I'm just going to live in your goodness and sing of your goodness be the light in the world of your goodness but God bless you have a great week